You've entered the Prosperity Dimension. A dimension of sci-fi adventure. A dimension of small biz excitement. A dimension where Nicole Fendi shows you how to build your profits and have a swashbuckling good time. And now, here's Nicole Fendi. Welcome into this episode of The Prosperity Dimension. I'm Nicole Fendi, and today we have got JT Smith. Woo! I am so excited. JT is the owner of the Game Crafter, Tabletop Dot Events, Plain Black, and the Lacuna Expanse. And as you may have already guessed, is a serial entrepreneur. So just before we started, I was mentioning I am a totally extroverted geek which is rather rare. JT was, It is, I know. So, JT, welcome to the show, and especially because it turns out you're an introvert. Yeah, naturally, naturally an introvert. Don't <laughs> like to be in front of large groups or, you know, with strangers. I still, to this day, have a very hard time doing the whole small talk thing. Mm. Very, very hard for me. Interesting. So. So how is, because Gen Con's coming up, we're both going to be there. How is that for you going to an event like Gen Con? Does that feel like, like, does it make you feel sick? Because I'm totally psyched about it. Oh, it doesn't make me feel sick. And these days I'm much better at, Mm -hmm. you know, being out in public, you know, being in front of large groups of people and all that sort of thing. It's something you train yourself over time. But yeah, when you have to engage in small talk, that's where it really drops off for me. So like these days, I'm regularly speaking in front of, you know, 50, 100, 1000 people. And it's, you know, it has become a bit more natural. But it's because the way I've channeled it is basically to realize that I'm there for a purpose. I have something to talk about, something that these people want to hear about, that sort of thing. So when it comes to small talk, it's like, what do I say? Because we're not here for a purpose. You know, there's so anyway. <laughs> OK, so this is interesting. I actually just sent my daughter off to a summer camp yesterday and mm-hmm. she's very introverted. So clearly, though, she's my kid that she didn't get that from me. And we had this discussion and she's like, well, what do I do? What do I say? And especially the one-on-one stuff. My suggestion to her and it would be to everybody listening is ask the other person about them because people love to talk about themselves. So if to make it easy to get started, say, well, okay, why are you at this event? Or what's your favorite thing? Or Gen Con, what's your favorite game? What booth did you see that you loved so far? Because that other person will appreciate you've actually asked them a question about them. That is great advice. So you said... Where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think I could have given that advice 20 years ago. I've learned a lot in 20 years. <laughs> because extroverts have to guard against talking too much about themselves. Mm-hmm. So we have the other problem where we can seem... <laughs> it's not that we're not interested, but we get so excited. Mm-hmm. We just have to remind ourselves to shut up and listen. <laughs> And yes, I have a podcast, but I love hearing other people talk as well. So I'm going to ask you one more question about this, JT. You made a comment and I said, oh, no, we have to start the podcast because we were talking kind of in the unofficial green room here. Mm-hmm. You said this is an important skill for a business owner, entrepreneur. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Well, 
if you're going to run a business, you pretty much have to realize that you're going to be the face of that thing. So at some point, whether it be talking to a group of peers about how you created the thing or whether it be talking to a group of customers at a trade show or, you know, even eventually speaking to the press or public speaking, you know, mm-hmm. however it comes up, you have to do it. And the biggest area, of course, with this is in most businesses, there is some level of interpersonal sales that happens. And so you just have to get good at speaking to people. Right. I wholeheartedly agree. And being an extrovert has helped me in that way because you give me a stage and I, you got to keep me from running up on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where I'd rather let my work shine rather than me. Right. Right. Well, okay, so we're going to get into how I first got connected with you, JT, was through the Game Crafter. I love the Game Crafter and I love all the new things you're doing. Give us just a one minute overview of what is the Game Crafter? The Game Crafter is a place where you can get your board game ideas turned into physical copies of the game. So you basically design a game, you create some artwork for it, you upload it to our website, you choose some parts like some pawns or dice or something like that, and then you pay, and about a week later you get a copy in the mail. It's that simple. It's basically print-on-demand for board games, which in my opinion, has revolutionized the board game industry and made it accessible to everybody just the way print-on-demand for book system. I I agree. It's fantastic. And I'll add, I have a board game I've been working on with a partner, but as well, I use it for your trading cards. So for Mm. my new book, The Prosperity Dimension, I created trading cards for all the characters. That makes sense. Yep. And people love the cards. And now I've got to come up with a game to go with the cards because people keep <laughs> asking me for it. <laughs> yep. Quite a few businesses actually build games around their kind of intellectual property. So I know there's a woman who has a dietary kind of life coaching type business. Mm-hmm. And she's made, you know, it's about, I forget what it's called. It's like Stone Age people eating stuff. Oh, maybe paleo <laughs> oh, yeah. diet? Paleo Is that diet. it? Paleo diet. There you go. Yeah. Paleontologist. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so she's made a deck of cards that helps with meal plans. There's another company that has, you know, they're all about project management. And so they've created a game to teach people how to better manage their projects. So there's all kinds of, in addition to traditional board games that, you know, we work on a lot of publishers games, like we just did The Walking Dead for Cryptozoic. Oh my God. Uh, Cool. Sorry, I just that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan too, so I, I get it. But yeah, in addition to publisher board games, we also work on a lot of corporate type games like mm-hmm. that. So, and I want to step back for a minute for what you do now, which is completely amazing. And how did this start? I mean, this was not—you didn't plan on having a print-on-demand board game company, right? No, I mean, well, yes, sort of. (laughs) Please tell. (laughs) So long time ago, this point, it seems like a long time ago, I was designing my own board games and I couldn't find, I don't design games generally that are mass market type, you know, they'll sell thousands and thousands of copies. I design kind of niche games that I want to play with my friends. And so I was looking for somebody that would do small run print and I couldn't find anyone because board games take very specialized equipment. It's not like you know, a book is the same regardless of what words you put in it. It's basically the same form factor every time. Right. Whereas board games, it's got all these little bits. So it's a very complicated process. 
and I couldn't find one, so I decided that I should build it, and <laughs> I thought that if I could maybe get close to breaking even with it, that it would be a nice little hobby business, because then I would have the tools to do the games that I wanted to do, but also, you know, had a way to kind of maybe help pay for some of this stuff. And so I thought if I could sell 100 games a month by the end of the first year, I would be doing great. And in the first month, I sold 400 games. Oh, my God. That's awesome. (laughs) And I love how you took a need that you saw personally. This is a theme I hear over and over again with people who are successful in a business that maybe they didn't originally intend to start, but they saw a need and a problem they felt. And they said, well, I can fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, and just from that, and you had an idea of, okay, how do I break even? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I not lose my shirt? Something else you do, which I love, is how I've seen you use Kickstarter as a really cool tool to grow your community. And so the Kickstarter campaigns I've seen you do is where if you get enough people buying into something, you'll have a new option, right? Like a new size board. Or you started doing the shrink wrapping, and I know it's been a little while since then. Can you explain Mm -hmm. a little bit more about your process and philosophy? Because it seems it's worked really well for you guys to narrow in on what should you add next that will be profitable. Well, we've tried all kinds of different things to figure that out. So we have a whole community system built into our website so that, you know, people can chat with each other. They could submit ideas to us. And then there's this whole voting algorithm that they can vote. And the things that float to the top are things that we're more interested in working on. We have a referendum system where people can pay crafter points, which are like frequent flyer miles, except for buying games. And they can use crafter points to kind of vote in a referendum to see, should we do this? Like we just did one for engraved dice. I didn't know that I could use my points to vote in a referendum. I'm going to have to go look at that. (laughs) And then, like you said, we do crowdfunding campaigns too. And so like our first one was on Indiegogo like four years ago was for the shrink wrapping thing. We shrink wrapping is a thing that isn't technically necessary in board games. You know, you don't play the shrink wrap. So (laughs) we weren't sure whether it was worth investing the money to buy a shrink wrapping machine. So we put out a crowdfunding campaign and said, hey, if you support us in this, if we get enough backers, we will not only buy a shrink wrapping machine, but we will make it free for everybody forever. And so it would just be built in as part of our process. Mm -hmm. So at the first level, you know, if we just hit the goal, we'll buy a shrink wrapping machine. If we keep hitting these extended goals, it'll reduce the price until eventually, if we hit $10,000, we would do it for free forever. Mm-hmm. And so we did it. We got, I don't even remember, it's like twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000. Yeah, I know you hit, I remember you hit over, like you said, it was a couple years ago now, but I remember yeah. you exceeded it. And then later, we started doing the same thing for games designed by members of our community. So we did one where we had a bunch of micro games. They're all basically decks of cards type games. Each one of them is a very small kind of thing, but we put them together as a bundle. And so you could buy, I think it was seven different games for... I want to say it was $80 or $90, including shipping. So you could get, that's a lot of games. Yeah, that is a lot. I missed that one. I don't know where I was. (laughs) There were also smaller bundles. So if you didn't want all seven games, you could have like a bundle of three or something like that and get a good price. And then after that, we did a different one with bigger games where we did The Captain is Dead. Yes, The Captain is Dead. 
<laughs> Sorry, right. that one I saw. I'm really excited because right. you guys are doing events at Gen Con for that, right? The oh yeah, Dead? absolutely. Yep. And that one we raised a lot of money. I think it was 120 thousand or oh. 112 thousand or something like that. So now yeah. was that your? I can't. I remember that campaign. Was that your board game or is that one of the members of the community? That was both. A member of the community designed the game and I developed it into the version that is what we sell. So he had the initial idea, but didn't have time to actually refine it into a complete game mm-hmm. and so it needed a lot of playtesting it needed a lot of changes and it needed its own intellectual property because when he originally created it it was a Star Trek game and there was uh, no yeah. way there was no <laughs> way going to get Star Trek IP so. right it's ironic you say that the whole reason I wrote the Prosperity Dimension was because I started looking at wanting to take from modern pop culture right sci-fi culture mm-hmm. but because of the intellectual property you can't use it And I finally just said, well, I'm going to have to write my own book Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I can't use any of that. Right. Okay. so a question I'm sure people are wondering is, let's say they have a game and let's say they're part of your, you know, or they have an idea and they're starting to get active in your community. How do they get even considered as I mean, I realize it's a small percentage of the total games in your community. How does someone get considered or what are other ways they can leverage the community and resources you have to promote a game that they've designed? Sure. Well, we've mostly backed off from the crowdfunding thing at this point because our community has taken it on themselves. They want to run their own campaigns the way they want to run them rather than having us run them. Okay. And so we've mostly backed off of that from doing it. And the other problem with it is that, you know, if we're doing it, we can only do a couple games a year. Right. So instead, we have decided to help people run their own campaigns. <laughs> and so we do a number of different things along those lines. For example, we have this crowdfunding manufacturing agreement. If you say you're going to manufacture your game with us, we will promote your game through our various social media channels on our newsletter that goes out to 60,000 of our customers, that sort of stuff. And then you will manufacture your game with us at the end. However, if you hit it out of the park... And so you're no longer in the realm of print on demand. You know, you've sold a thousand copies or whatever it takes to go for a long run manufacturer. We let you out of that agreement because we want you to find, you know, amazing success. If you find it, great. If you only need a couple hundred copies to fill your campaign, though, then you're with us. And it works out great either way. Mm -hmm. I actually have a friend who did that, who used your she did it on a again, a business. I actually refer a lot of businesses, entrepreneurial businesses to the Game Crafter. Because, as you said, there are so many tools there that can be repurposed for an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. in their business and their intellectual property. And she had a deck. It was, I think it was like writing prompts or something. And she used your tool. The more that people bought, the lower the price per deck. Does that sound right? Oh, she's using, yeah. So we actually have our own crowdfunding platform that we built, too. So that's called a crowd sale. Can you explain that that a little bit? I don't remember the details. Yep. What what you said is basically right. So you kind of do remember the details. <laughs> so the deal is you put your game up on our crowd sale platform. It's on the Game Crafter. It's not on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's right on the Game Crafter. And you put your game up there and it's got whatever price it has. And we immediately give it a 5% discount. And then for every 10 backers that you get, we reduce it by a certain amount until, you know, after 100 backers, you've reached the maximum discount, which is usually around 40% of right. a discount. So the more people buying into the game during that one week sale, the cheaper it becomes for every single person that bought in because we don't actually charge the credit card until the end of the sale. And that really helped her. I remember it being a very effective tool for her. It was a new idea. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, for our listeners, this is a great way to also test appetite without losing your shirt. Absolutely. You know? for- yeah, there's no risk to you at all. And the beautiful thing at the end is there's no survey. Like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo project, you got to do the survey, get everybody's addresses and muck around with all that. With our system, they are already part of the Game Crafter when they buy. So all of that is logged. And so basically oh, at the end cute. of yeah, at the end of the sale, it just charges everybody's credit card and throws it all into the manufacturing queue, and you're done. You get to walk away. <laughs> oh, my God. that See, I didn't know all the back-end things. I mean, I was helping her promote it and everything, and yes, I'm the one who first told her about you guys. So, you know, I knew that, but I didn't know about the back-end, and that's a really important point for people to know is whenever you're doing any kind of crowdfunding, which at the right time, at the right place, it can be very effective. So I'm not discouraging people from it. But know what the logistics are on the back end before you start. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Right. In fact, most people think that the work goes in before the campaign. And you do have to put in a ton of work before the campaign and during. But I think most of the work is after the campaign because that's where the customer service part really kicks in. You're having to do all those collections of, you know, surveys, that sort of stuff. You're having to field tons of questions by impatient people that haven't gotten their thing yet. Stuff goes wrong. You know, something gets lost in shipping or gets crushed in shipping. Mm -hmm. It's all kinds of stuff. It's a lot more work after the campaign and it's long too. You think it's like, you know, your campaign's over, breathe sigh of relief. (laughs) But really, you've got another six to nine months of, you know, (laughs) dealing with people after the campaign. So I just want to go back over a couple things, because whether or not people are looking to produce a traditional board game, which by itself is a lot of fun, if they're looking also to use it in a more traditional business sense or gamifying in their business, I just want to reiterate, they have a lot of different options when they go to the game crafter. There are the forums I've been out there and like there's always people on in the chat rooms. Always. I mean, always. I've never been out there, and I don't care. I've been out there at weird times. There are always <laughs> people in the chat room, and they're always happy to talk to you. Yep. But, and I know there's a place where you can also connect with designers, illustrators, artists, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now I know go in and vote with your crafter points. Yep. So I didn't know that part, so I'm going to go find that later because I have a bunch of crafter points. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea of that. The Game Crafter will help you if you're doing an external crowdfunding as well and help promote you as long as you commit to produce with them, as well as the internal one. And what did you call the one that my friend used? What's that called? That's called a crowd sale. Crowd sale. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, wow, lots of different ways to try things out. Oh, and something else people don't realize. I mean, you know it, but I'm going to say this for the listeners is you can get blanks of things. So, oh, yeah. So what's nice is sometimes, like, I wanted to just play with different mechanics, and I didn't want to have to worry about what went on it at first. It was just, like, right. how would it look from a layout point of view? Yep. So you can just go out and order blanks. We also give away blanks. So you can order them from our website if you can't get to an event. But if you go to the various events that we sponsor, including Gen Con, we have <laughs> at Gen Con, there's the first exposure playtest hall that we're sponsoring. And okay. in there, there will be a table set up with all kinds of free stuff from the Game Crafter. So all kinds of blanks and some game pieces as well, I believe. So if you can get to one of the various events, and we sponsor like 100 events a year. Wow. So there's plenty of them out there. I didn't realize uh, you did that many. Yeah, you can get free stuff. So oh, everyone likes free, free stuff. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about Gen Con for a minute. That's coming up in August. And for mm-hmm. those of you who may be listening to this after Gen Con has happened, there's always next year. This is not going anywhere. <laughs> and last year attracted over 60,000 unique visitors. Mm-hmm. And it's really a juggernaut. 
really, in the gaming world. Yep. What I'm curious, JT, for people who are going, let's say they're just going to attend. I mean, clearly it's way too late to can't get anything to exhibit now, but if they were going to attend, but they want to make some connections into the gaming world, whether it's, you know, for a hobby or professionally, what advice do you give them if they go into something that probably feels a bit overwhelming? It's tough. And at this point, it's going to be it's harder for you to get in to make those connections than if you had started a bit earlier, because the you know various people from the industry have been setting up meetings at Gen Con for months already. Wow. So their schedules are very booked at this point. But sometimes you can just get a walk up with somebody. You'll, you'll go to their booth in the exhibitor hall, for example, and they might happen to be like the person in charge of publishing company X might happen to be at the booth and you can just walk up and speak to them for a couple of minutes. But so plan there ahead, are, basically. Plan ahead, <laughs> yes. But there are other various social events. If you look through the calendar on Gen Con or if you happen to know people that know about some that aren't advertised. For example, we have one that's advertised. It's part of the Gen Con schedule. And we have another one that's not part of the Gen Con schedule. The Game Crafter puts on. So there's one that's part of the Gen Con schedule called the Community Game Night. I believe that happens. It's, I think it's on Friday. It's Friday night. I'm signed up. Yeah. <laughs> so that one's part of the Gen Con schedule. And mm-hmm. you can just... Just buy a ticket and go there and get to hang out with, you know, a bunch of different people from the Game Crafter community, including staff from the Game Crafter, as well as designers and artists from the community, and then play a bunch of games together. But one that's not on the schedule, we actually have on Saturday night at the O'Reilly Pub, we have the Game Crafter community social. And what's interesting about that is you can actually hobnob with all kinds of people that aren't necessarily even you wouldn't traditionally think of as a game crafter user it's not like a regular person designing a game there are publishers that will be there for example there are game reviewers who review game crafter games so there's lots of different you know there are podcasters so there's lots of different people that you can kind of make connections with and get your foot in the industry, so to speak. If they want to learn more about that, that's on your Facebook page, the information for that? Right, yeah. We have in in the events section of our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash thegamecrafter. And just for the listeners, this will also be in the show notes. You can refer to the show notes and get the links there as well. So don't worry, we've got you covered. Mm -hmm. And now I've got to ask, I think this is particularly appropriate given we started the conversation talking about you know, that you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert. You were saying about learning to channel when you get up in front of a crowd. But something else I've discovered, like when I did these trading cards for my book, Mm -hmm. I did eight cards that represented my book launch sponsors, as well as a couple key people who helped me, like my illustrator, because I didn't illustrate it, my editor. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see how they chose an alter ego to exist in this universe. Right. This Mm -hmm. alternate dimension. Have you ever found yourself doing that, like channeling an alter ego? I mean, not when you're gaming itself, but when you're outside of gaming, but you're faced with the situation and suddenly you think, because I know I've done this. Well, how would so and so do it? Have you ever (laughs) found yourself doing that? Well, who hasn't? (laughs) Okay, so tell us, who who have you channeled? (laughs) Well, the thing is that I'm kind of boring in that regard. I mean, I have. You know, after I'm done watching a movie, you know, uh, about Batman, I'm, Uh of course, like, ah! You know, (laughs) but in daily life, I Mm -hmm. don't tend to channel fictional figures. Instead, I channel 
people that inspire me. So if I'm angry, I'm channeling Lewis Black. If I'm feeling particularly intellectual, maybe it's Elon Musk or Penn Jillette, you know, Uh something along those lines. It's really that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's even just people I know. Like if I'm building something with my hands, Mm -hmm. my dad was a craftsman. So I feel like I I can actually see like I'm looking through his eyes. What would he do in that situation? So in that way, I'm kind of boring in that I'm not picking fictional characters. I'm picturing real life, you know, and inspired by those egos rather than fictional egos. Well, if it works, and I'm with you about the hands thing and dads, because my dad is also someone who's, he can always figure out how to fix things, you mm-hmm. know, mechanical things. So whenever I'm faced with something, I think, okay, what would my dad do next? And I'm, you know, he was just here a few, like maybe two or three months ago visiting and there was something that wasn't working. He's like, I can fix it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> and it was fun because it was me and him and then my daughter, Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I mean, I love power tools. So, you know, I got to get out the power tools. We had a blast. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It, oh, pow- I love power tools. That's one of the things that the Game Crafter has brought back into my life. When I was a kid growing up with my dad, who's very hands on, we would build things all the time and, you know, be out in the shop cutting metal and all kinds of things. Right. And after I went to college and started getting into all of the software development stuff, kind of the physical world left Mm. my world. But then coming to the Game Crafter, we're taking all of this computer-driven stuff and making real-world things. And so now I'm, you know, we build all these robots and machinery, and so I'm constantly tinkering in the physical world now. And that's, it's really cool to have that kind of come back. And my dad occasionally comes to the shop and sees all the cool stuff, and he's like, that's amazing. And, oh, wow. You know, when I showed him a laser cutter for the first time, he was like, where has that been my whole life? <laughs> oh, I want a laser cutter. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who recently bought a 3D printer. She's an artist, and so she mm-hmm. is doing 3D printing of some characters that she's drawn. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating. It just – I love it. So <laughs> it is. The tools these days are amazing. Well, then I do you think that's why physical games don't go out of style? Because I know for a while, back when video games really took off, everyone said board games are dead, you know, you know all the physical stuff. But yet, look at how successful the Game Crafter is and look at how board games still sell so well. What do you think? Why is that? It comes down to the fact that they are a social – physical thing in the digital world i think it's you know everybody is glued to their phone or their computer all day every day and so this is something you can do with your friends that is social and it disconnects you from that digital plane you get to you know just hang out i think that's very appealing to a lot of people whether they realize it or not they don't maybe put that connection together but part of the reason that they enjoy that time so much is because it's actually away from their connected life Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would agree. I enjoy, as much as I love digital, I embrace all the tools that have been created. I love doing any kind of like digital manipulation and video and that sort of thing. I still like my time when I can turn all that off. So I, Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to me how we keep coming back to that. Right. And video games, I mean, most video games are designed around a single player experience, so they're not very social. But even the ones that are multiplayer, you know, some of them have voice chat, but it's still not the same as getting to see someone's physical reaction, you know, while you're playing the game. And so it's a much more social experience playing a board game than it is a video game. I was reading some research recently that your brain is activated differently 
on video and chat, even if it's a video and with a text chat, it activates a different part of your brain than a face-to-face interaction. I'm sure. So I'm sure. You know, I guess we want to make sure we use as much of our brain as possible. <laughs> yeah. I read something about a year ago that was talking about how much communication is lost in the digital age because like, I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was something like 80 or 90 percent of communication is nonverbal. So yep. if you can't see the person, you've lost most of the communication, your ability to communicate with them. When you said that, I was nodding. <laughs> and then I realized I had to verbalize. I was agreeing. <laughs> so there you go. There, there you go. <laughs> well, JT, as always, I enjoyed talking with you so much. I want to wrap up and just let everybody know we will have all the different ways you can follow JT as well as the Game Crafter on social media. You can go to thegamecrafter.com. And if you want to know more about the Game Crafter at Gen Con, you can go to news.thegamecrafter.com forward slash tagged forward slash Gen Con. Again, that will be in the show notes. Any last thoughts before we sign off today, JT? Actually, if you're in the gaming world and you are looking to run a convention, I just launched a new company called Tabletop Events. So you should check that out. We can actually help you run your game convention in the same way that we help people build board games. We provided technology to solve a longstanding problem. And in fact, maybe what we can do, JT, is have you back on the show so we can give that the attention it deserves. Because I was looking at it and it's fascinating what you've done with it. That'd be awesome. So I want to, again, thank you, JT, for being here today. I want to remind all the listeners that you can keep the adventure going. You can download a free copy of The Prosperity Dimension at scifibiz.com. Scifibiz.com. Get a totally free download of the first chapter of The Prosperity Dimension. I am Nicole Fendi, and this is The Prosperity Dimension. Thanks for having me.